Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that maybe, like interest rates, have reached a peak. I'm Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. He is Andrew Page. Not least he from Strawman. He is Strawman. All of the good things that are Strawman are Andrew Page. All the good things that are Andrew Page are Strawman. Maybe. I'm not sure. Mr. Page, good day. And none of the bad things. Um, I'm good, mate. How are you? Well, <laughs> mate, that's the beauty that's the beauty of telling your own story, mate. You own the website, it can be whatever you want it to be, and you can uh, blame other people for the that's the only thing about being the boss, right? Exactly. All the good stuff is you, all the bad stuff someone else. Exactly. That's how it's how it has worked since the dawn of time, and I'm I'm not about to change it right now. <laughs> That's, right. That's why I have staff at the Motley Fool, mate. Yeah, if I do, if I do well, it's my responsibility. <laughs> if I do badly, it's their fault. So it's it's nice to have someone to blame. Has ever been thus? No. Yes. <laughs> I kid, I kid, uh, mate. Um, it's been a week. Mm. It's been a week. Mm. Um, some seismic kind of stuff going on. I I joked as we started about things having potentially peaked, uh, and interest rates. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, have peaked, or maybe there's one more to go. Maybe there's more, of course, anything's possible. Um, Governor Lowe in his second last uh, meeting as RBA governor, having been given the bullet by uh, Treasurer Chalmers, is uh, holding rates because the balance seems just about right, at least in his view. The market is not sure what to think, actually. And this was one of the more... I hate the words hawkish and dovish. I've got to come up with a better word than dovish, but it was one of the more um, laid back, uh, balanced, less, least kind of aggressive or, or um, impatient uh, missives we've seen from the RBA. It seemed a very, very calm, gentle on one hand. On the other hand, mm. it feels like the RBA has almost arrived at its destination. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a quick victory lap here. I, I totally called this. <laughs> I totally and not not like that particular um, uh, month of August rate decision. But I've 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 mm-hmm. long since the start of the year, as we've talked about this endlessly. <laughs> my view has been that the 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 desire to not collapse the entire economy <laughs> will outweigh any inflation concerns and and that's right, and that's right. really just about housing so I, I feel as though it's been i think it's been one of the most rapid increases in history if not mm. we know that there's always a lag effect here we know there's the so-called yeah, yeah. mortgage cliff i think it's just i mean it's just it's always sort of danced around but it's the massive elephant in the room and it's sort of like well what do you want to do here do you want to keep aggressively increasing interest rates and just wipe out the property market <laughs> and by extension yeah. the whole economy? Frankly, I don't yeah. actually see that as an entirely a, a, um, a, a bad thing. <laughs> it would certainly improve housing and affordability. Um, right. But yeah, I feel as I feel as though that was always going to be the case. I mean, it is it mm. is the proverbial rock and hard place though, because one yeah. one of the interesting things we saw off the back of that decision is that it seemed to catch the Forex traders a little bit off guard. Uh, Aussie dollar came down quite a bit um, in percentage terms as far as, you know, currency rates move. So we're now at 60, mid 65s or something. Mm -hmm. And we've touched on this before on the pod. So, you know, if you've got uh, a big amount of capital lying around and you're going to get better interest Mm -hmm. rates in the US, you know, you'll, you'll probably sell your Aussie dollars, buy some US dollars, and it just tends to impact things in that way. Of course, we import the vast majority of the cool stuff. So we're very good at mm-hmm. uh, rocks and unfinished goods. <laughs> to put the boot into our own economy. A little bit of financial service, a little bit of med tech, but yeah, for mostly rocks. We've got some really cool stuff that we do. But when you look at when you look at the breakdown, and just just Google it, right, and um, look at Wikipedia yeah, and look yeah. at our major exports, they're, they're all rocks. Is what we do. Yeah. Uh, which is a little bit of a shame. Um, I, I, all the money is made in the value add. I, I would, I would largely argue, not that we don't make very good money selling selling rocks to other kinds of places. <laughs> but my point is here is that it kind of, <clears throat> in, it's not going to help the fight on inflation with all of the yeah. uh, imports now likely to be more expensive. Yep. So anyway, it's it's it, they've, they've you know we're not saying anything new here. I'm not entirely surprised. That that's not to say there couldn't be another uh, one, maybe even two. Mm-hmm. And here, here's the other thing. I mean, 
every forecast is always wrong whenever we talk about this. So I, <laughs> I know that none of this stuff dates well, not just from us, yeah, of course, right. but from the governor himself and from, from right. every other economist around the world. So I'm very cognizant of that. But yeah, I feel as though, I feel as though, yeah, I, that, that, that's my two cents. I like it, mate. Um, I <laughs> Speaking of victory laps, I'm going to uh, – I'm not going to take a victory lap per se, but uh, I, I I did think uh, over the last couple of months one more was probably par. I think I might have said that in the podcast. I yep. certainly said it elsewhere. Yep. Um, not not that I predicted just one, but par. You know, most the most likely outcome uh, could have been zero if things got meaningfully worse quickly. Could have been more and still could be more, of course, if um, – if things need more work, and as you say, that's the that is the the key question for the RBA and for others is you know what happens next or how much work is left mm. to be done. Um, I so I think it's a what I think is really interesting, mate, is the circumstances that we're in. We know, as you've already talked about, that rates have a lead uh, or, or a lag effect, right? The, the, you change the rate now, the economic circumstances generally six months is what most economists believe is roughly mm-hmm. uh, the amount of time it takes for those things to really bed down. So if you think about that, think about the last six months worth of increases yeah. that probably haven't taken effect. And the mortgage cliff, while I don't love the term, um, it, it's, it's actually really real in terms of the impact on both borrowers and the economy because the RBA knows full well that effectively it's got something like, I'm going to pick a number here, I'm going to say 20%-ish of mortgage holders who over the next 18 months will effectively have their interest rates increased by the very fact of rolling off from a very low fixed rate to a much higher variable rate, much higher than they used to at least pay. And that that in itself is going to continue to be contractionary for the economy. So it's almost like they're putting the, 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 the end of the rate hiking cycle on autopilot, saying, right, let's get to this level mm. And then over that period of time, for those homeowners, and again, remember, every dollar that's spent, at least in the short term, on mortgage repayments rather than consumption Mm -hmm. is contractionary for the economy. You've rightly said before, it goes to somebody and someone has that money. But in terms of propensity to spend, uh, there's nothing more uh, direct than taking money out of a mortgage payer's um, (laughs) bank account and and making it go away where they might have spent it on something else, whether the recipient... Uh, the, the bank funder spends that money is an open question. They certainly, I think it's almost inarguable, unless you want to argue with me, that um, they they will spend that you know more slowly and they're less likely to spend it just by virtue of the types of people who are likely to be bank funders rather than than, than mortgage payers. So yeah. I think those things are those things are absolutely real and they're still going on. Mate, we've also had we had a, a month or so off. We did some pre-records. Um, and by the way, thank you to those listeners who said thank you. Um, for the uh, uh, for getting that to us, um, the over that period of time, Matt, we've seen retailers really taken to the cleaners over the last couple of months, in particular. Mm. Uh, Dares, shares I own, think you do too. Um, David Jones was out last week with you know Country Road and DJ sales down over the last couple of months, in particular. Retail sales, the ABS's numbers for June were down zero point eight percent. So, and, and by the way, if you look at the discretionary categories, they are down much more than others. It really does seem that this is, I, I feel like we've hit the tipping point. And I, I don't know if I've said this before on the pod, but the, you know, the, the, the national savings rate was 20% as we got uh, out of lockdown. Mm-hmm. And then effectively the RBA's job has been to just grind away at sucking up that excess capacity in the economy to really get to the point where they then can impact on a very visceral level, some of this spending. And it feels to me like, you know, and, and I'm not surprised they, they took a pause this month for exactly that reason. It seems like the thing they've been trying to do for 18 months is now only just finally happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's true. I, I think there's there's also what's difficult here, I know I'm, I'm probably making this a point I've made a thousand times, is that there's my view at least is that there's a, there's a bifurcated economy here. And and what, I'm, what yes, I mean yeah. by that is... And, <laughs> I think it's it's very telling that may, most of the journalists reporting on this probably belong to our demo or below are probably in yes, a so repaying true. a house mode with a mortgage mode. And so it, yeah, yeah. you look through your own <laughs> lens through everything, right? Yeah, and, exactly, exactly. And I saw this That's tweet so yesterday, uh, I think it was from David Taylor at the ABC, but he reported on some right. um, findings from Pexar's a property group. So get this, a quarter, a quarter, 25% of all homes bought in Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria in 2022 were bought with cash. Were bought with no mortgage. It's crazy, <laughs> like, It's like, what? How does that? Wait a second, I thought. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you, and then I, so I, it's, it's, 
you have a very significant section of the economy, i.e. the boomers. I'm not going to just put the boot into the boomers, although it's always it's yeah, always yeah. a bit of fun. <laughs> Sorry, boomers. <laughs> <laughs> Luckiest generation that ever lived. Um, mm-hmm. But this is, they don't break down the figures, but I think the reasonable summation is you've already got two factors. You've got the tree changes, sea changes, just like let's sell the house in Sydney, Melbourne, wherever. Mm. Brisbane, let's go live on the coast and we get much more bang for our buck. We downsize, we put a bit of money into our pocket. We're buying it with cash. Yeah. The RBA can do whatever it like. It's having zero impact. It's having zero impact. In fact, it's- it's On those people particularly. Yeah, I mean, especially, don't forget whenever you're selling and buying, you're doing it in the same market. So property can go up 20% mm-hmm. or down 20%. It makes no difference from from your perspective, Correct. right? So that's that's the first thing. Any cash that you've got sitting on the side- Unless you're downsizing or upsizing, but yes, exactly. Yeah, right. that, that, that's true. That's true. Um, but but in terms of um, the, the money that you've got on the side, probably in term deposits, and that tends to be something that people of a, beyond a certain age tend to favour for, for risk reasons and all the rest of it. It's actually, you're doing just fine. You're doing absolutely fine. And so on the other hand, you've got someone who might have just put down a 10 or 20% deposit who's found that their mortgage repayment rates have tripled. Right, and so you're feeling this again. This one blunt hammer of interest rate rises is putting all the paint on a very specific segment of the market, where another very large, significant segment spending like drunken sailors, as as has been the case for a while now. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So I don't know what you, I don't know what you do in that in that circumstance. I've, well, actually, I do know what you do. You, you yeah. do macro prudential well, we talk, controls yeah, we about and it fiscal yep. policy yep. that makes yep. sense and all, all the yep. rest of it. But I feel as though this is what makes Lowe's job and his success is such an impossible mm-hmm. in task. It's, it is, it is, we, yeah. and, and, I, and I always come back to the, what I feel is a bit crazy. There is this idea of taking demand out of the economy makes perfect sense for discretionary items. Um, yep. It doesn't make any sense for bread and milk. You know, no, you could win Powerball yep. tonight, yep. right? And you've got a hundred million dollars. You're not, your consumption of bread doesn't triple, right? Like it's, it's, it's those, <laughs> right, those, right. there are other factors at play rather than increased demand mm-hmm. for, for the basics, for electricity, for fuel, for all of, all of those kinds of things. So again, you you have that you have that side of the equation too, which makes it all a, a little bit mad. So I don't know, mate. I I, I don't know. It, it's it's uh, I think at the end of the day, when you when you level it all out, you kind of say, look, we've we can point to the decisions we've made. We've we've no one's going to accuse us of, of acting too timidly here, <laughs> even though some will yeah, probably true. say you could go a lot harder. Um, yep. Uh, and and they will say that there are broader factors at play and blah, 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 blah. But we we cannot risk tipping everything into recession. We are walking that fine line between trying to, as you say, take a bit of demand out of the economy without collapsing the damn thing. We want the 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 elusive but ever ever desirable soft landing. And that that is the that I'm, that is the I'm, real question. Oh well, one quick data point that I saw yeah. yesterday, Hello World is a travel a group uh, traded on the ASX. Yeah. HLO is the code. They came out and increased their guidance for the third time this year, saying things are great, actually. People are traveling around like yeah. you wouldn't believe. Um and so it's it's sort of like again, maybe that's maybe that's all the boomers doing all the holiday uh, travel. Shout out to mum and dad at Hamilton Island as we speak. Um <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're having a good time. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm rambling at this point, but do you, do you get where I'm coming from here? I do. I absolutely do, mate. I, I, there's so many bits and pieces there. I, it's, it's the people buying uh, – yes. Um, uh, we've talked a lot about different ways of, of controlling economic activity outside just rates, and I think it's well past time that we did some of those things. Um, I'm a little bit less uh, – I, my, the only thing I, I keep in mind, we, it, I, I really just like the generational war stuff as, as a matter of kind of course. Um, and it's worth remembering that the you know the boomers paid 17% while their parents owned their homes back in 1990. And I'm sure in the early 80s, their parents were paying more when someone else was paying. You know, it, it's it's not necessarily fair in, in the moment, mm. but it's also not something that others haven't been through, right? And again, it doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it right. Mm. But I, I just, it's worth saying it's not a new problem that only, you know, uh, the millennials have found out to, to their chagrin, everyone else has had a, a free ride the entire time. There were times, and I, I, the boomers had higher rates but off smaller prices, so that's obviously a ridiculous idea. You can't compare 7 8% with 6% and say it's, you know, the boomers had it far worse, they didn't. 
but the boomers did go through that period of paying, you know, through the nose for for home loans for a period of time. 30 years later, we're here again with the next generation and around and around it goes. So I, 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 I'm always a little bit careful. It's not a, a new problem. It is a problem that's very worth dealing with, as we've said. And if we get the chance and Polly, Polly's will move on pretty quickly, but uh, speaking of never wasting a crisis, it's a great time to ask ourselves next time around, what, you know, how, how would we improve these policy levers and policy tools to avoid the next generation, whichever generation is next time this happens, um, having the same sorts of problems? I think that's absolutely fair. Um, yeah. The other thing I think on uh, – but, but to your point, the problem with prudential – we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week. The problem with prudential controls is it only impacts those who are borrowing. Yeah. And so your very point about the 20% buying with cash – if you were to say to people, well, you can now no longer borrow this much money, everyone with buying with cash is like, beauty, we've now got no competition because all the all the would-be borrowers are gone. The cash buyers aren't constrained because they're buying with cash. And how do you tell someone they can't use cash to buy a house? It's, I mean, short of, short of communism, it's a little bit hard to say, you know, you may not buy that asset regardless of how much money you've got. So, so the kind of the growing inequality is, is, I think, the underlying issue. And that's the one for mine. Over the, over the last 20, 30 years, maybe 40 years, mm. that is a real concern. Mm. Ross Gittins wrote a great article recently. Um, uh, Ross was a little bit too, uh, uh, you know, there's a bit of the generational war thing. I'm not sure if that was clickbait or generally what Ross thinks. I guess that's the latter, uh, which I don't necessarily agree with him again, as I've already talked about. But he, he mentioned the, you know, the idea of, uh, we've again mentioned the, the kind of accident of birth, that if, you, if, you, you know, if you're clever enough to be born to, to people with money, <laughs> I don't mean literally clever, obviously, it's all, it's all chance, um, then you're going to be fine. Mm. If you happen to be the child of a renter, then you're probably going to be a renter and your kids are probably going to be renters because of that kind of growing inequality and the ability to use that those that, that cash, that money, um, to really set up your kids at the expense of other people's kids. And that's the bit that worries me. If I'm, I'm a bit of a policy wonk, man, but if I look forward 20, 30 years, I think about our kids and their kids, um, I really do worry about, and look, you know, I dare say straw man's doing well. Uh, I'm, I'm paid a, a decent amount of money. Um, you know, our kids won't be the ones that suffer from this, quite honestly. So selfishly, you know, I could happily say, well, my kids will be fine and they'll probably take advantage of some other's kids and who cares? But but from a policy perspective, a serious policy perspective, which we all should be aspiring to, that is not the sort of country I think we want. And that, that overall, mate, for all of the stuff we've just talked about, it's that moving forward bit that worries me more than probably anything of that. Mm. We could fix it with some different tools other than rates to some degree, uh, but how we deal with intergenerational inequality, that's the bit. Not so much the fact that the boomers have more than the millennials, but passing on that inequality, the, the, the inherited inequality, sorry, is a better word than intergenerational. The inherited inequality is that really, really worries me from a policy view. Yeah, oh, me too, me too. I, and I think that is what is different. I do take the point that it always seems... Uh, you know, each generation sort of looks at the older one and say, you know, that's not fair. But <laughs> I, I look at I look at the previous generation was mm. you were you were basically taking a mortgage and owning a home uh, in your mid twenties, and you were able to do it on on yep. an income of one. Now, uh, I think I saw a stat the other day: the average first homeowner, the age of the average first homeowner, has increased significantly because it just takes so much longer to save up a deposit. And that requires both people in the household, assuming that's the household structure, to to save that deposit. And you are literally looking at like mortgage uh, repayments are now what thirty years. They keep extending it. So it's like you know, if you're you could you could be like thirty thirty five, and at best hope to finally be debt free in your in your mid sixties. Right, like that—that that is that is different, right? And so I think the the other generation. Oh, t- uh, uh, yes, I'm not. I'm not sure everyone. I, I'm not sure everyone has the same circumstance. I'm just saying that when rates went up in the '90s, when we say it, it, you know the, the rates that are now impacting the the uh, the borrowers while their parents are you know on Hamilton Island, for example, mm. um, you know the, the, those people, the boomers then were paying while their parents were on Hamilton Island. I'm just, I'm just making the point that it's always been unfair. To, ta- to target a small portion of the population with rates. That's, yes, all. that's not a yes, new issue. Yeah, yeah. I'm not suggesting, I'm not suggesting the, the housing circumstances are the same at all, just, just more making the point that when we say, well, it's not fair to target the, the, the millennials while the boomers have a free ride, mm-hmm. um, it, it's not something the boomers have done to us slash them uh, in the last 20 years that didn't exist before that. that. That's the only thing. In terms of the rate impact and the unfairness of using a very blunt sledgehammer on a very narrow portion of the population, that's ever been thus. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fair. That's probably fair. Yeah, but you're right. There are definitely different circumstances that we've we've kind of probably mentioned those before, mate. Let's um let's move on to 
Another big macro, if we're going to do an individual company, it's kind of a bit macro related. Let's go overseas for a second. Fitch, the big ratings agency in the US, mm. um, I, I, would, I will remind people that ratings agencies were partly, if not more than that, more than that. before the global financial crisis. Yeah. So let, let's, just, let's just put that in brackets. Yeah. Let's not let them off the hook just yet, although the people have probably changed some uh, what, what, 15 years later. Um, but they are still a ratings agency. People do still look to them for God knows what reason. Um, and ratings the ratings that these guys give actually impact the cost of debt. So that's kind of why we pay attention in some ways. They downgraded the US government's credit rating from AAA to AA+. Plus. Mm. Uh, plenty of boffins in the US were apoplectic about this. I saw plenty on Twitter um, using very unscholarly, unacademic words uh, to, to uh, give Fitch a hard time for doing so. Uh, on one hand, mate, I, I mean, the US is probably never going to default in in any not in nominal, nominal terms way, no. right? And so, you know, is is that is that debt really at risk? Are they really any less credit worthy? Maybe, maybe so, maybe not. I'll, I'll ask your thoughts. Mm. But uh, Fitch is making something of a point, saying, "Hey, the fiscal circumstances, in other words, the tax and spend, the amount of debt, are pretty uncomfortable. Not as good as they could be to justify AAA." I also note, by the way, without getting super, too political, um, they did also note the political instability uh, brought about specifically by Donald Trump of all things. So um, it's not just a fiscal thing, it's partly also the policymakers and we know what a basket case US Congress can be from time to time. Uh, is this a sideshow, mate? Is this a derf? We already knew this stuff. Is it? Is it really, really important? How, how do you look at the Fitch downgrade when it comes to the US's credit worthiness and maybe any, if any, impacts on the rest of us? Oh, I have some thoughts. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I'm surprised. I'm surprised. <laughs> I think it's Fitch doing his bloody job, right? Like it, it's <laughs> it's. Um, I mean, the political pressure to not do this would have been immense. But oh, the, can you, you know, it? but the the fact is, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher the absolute details here. But the the <laughs> interest on. expense <laughs> on the debt is, I think, now if not the largest, like the second or third largest expense in 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 the U.S. government budget. So in other words, <clears throat> it's right. not always it's yeah, not yeah. always appropriate to do yeah. this, but it does make it easy. If you if you equate the U.S. economy to a household, you know, the credit card debt is so massive. That of, of all, when when they make money, i.e., when they tax corporations and and individuals, um, the biggest expense item is just paying paying the interest on the debt, not paying the debt down, paying the interest on the debt. Mm. Now, um, yeah. look, you don't have to be a whiz at mathematics to work out. They call it a debt spiral, right? So it just it gets to the stage where it's yeah. like, well, the only way, in fact, we're at a Speaking of our income, we're at a huge deficit, and not just a cyclical mm, deficit because mm, mm. things aren't great. We're at a structural deficit. We, yeah, we are miles away easy, yeah. from balancing. So, where's the difference come from? Well, it's, it's good to be able to have your own money, and it's also good if that happens <laughs> to be the global reserve currency. So, I just poof, I create some out of thin air, and I use that to pay the interest, which now means I've got more debt, mm. which now means I've got more interest, which now means I need to print more debt, and add, add on top of that the fact that interest rates are going up. Uh, as well, and it gets to a stage where it's just sort of like again, this this, this is a completely objective statement. It's non-political. It's it's non-opinion. It, it is mathematically unsustainable. Yeah. So you're right. You're 100 percent right to say that no one's going to default here, but you will be defaulted. You know, maybe I could call it a softer default in the sense that the purchasing <laughs> power of the dollars that yeah. you will be paid back will be significantly less. And so they are. They are. They are in this impossible situation of. Well, it's not impossible. It's politically impossible, perhaps. Whereas, uh, yeah, that's a, that's what I was going to make. <laughs> which is probably Fitch's point, right? It's yeah. like, well, if you knuckleheads are still running the place, then if I if I cast this forward, it doesn't look great. Well, this is it. Like, so what you would do again, household situation. You go, okay, we need to we need to bring our yeah. house in, into order here. So we've got to spend less. Yeah. And we've got to try and earn more. We've got to try and grow our our way out of it. We've got to be more more prudent. Um, uh, but that is very difficult, especially when you look at things like unfunded things that just aren't, aren't even um, um, off balance sheet kind of stuff with pension liabilities mm -hmm. and the rest. So next yep. presidential election, someone gets up and says, I'm going to cut entitlements to workers and the military veterans and I'm going to tax you all more. Just doesn't get in. Like just does not get yeah. in. 
Um, uh, so it's so it's just impossible. So the other option is we just grow our way out of it. So maybe some incredible new technology, maybe superconductors is in the news a little bit, which is very cool, by the way, but let's, let's not go down that rabbit hole. Uh, or AI or something <laughs> comes along where we just yeah. grow at such an incredible rate that we're able to, our, our income goes up through sort of productivity gains. And that's, that'd be nice if it happens, but it's always, it's always a risky thing to sort of rely on that, um, particularly yeah. when the spoils are unlikely to be very evenly sort of spread there. So, so Fitch is just calling a spade a spade here. The reality is, is that your credit isn't as good as it once was. And unless you change, and actually, frankly, we don't see how it is going to change, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> it, it may be downgraded again. You don't need some... Um, uh, captured uh, ratings agency to tell you this. All the other, like, what are BRICS doing? Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. They're all saying, we don't like using the US dollar anymore. Not <laughs> not just because of this, but because you kind of like yeah. get to censor us. You, you get to just like cut us out of the system. And Russia found this out the hard way. But other, or maybe regimes is not the right word, other um Countries, maybe it will. Yeah, countries around the world will go, hang on. And and so they're scrambling to create their own um, currency for settlement, whether that's a commodities-based thing or or whatever. So it's sort of like I I, I don't want to sort of be too chicken little here because these are – and by the way, these are not – this is not a new event in history. This this cycle has happened a gazillion times before. But they do tend to play out over decades. So I don't think anything is imminent here. But I, yeah, but right. I can tell you with with absolute mathematical certainty, if something doesn't change, uh, things are going to get you're, you're going to just see pretty high inflation in the US uh, uh, over the coming years and decades. Which is back down to that that can kicking, right? Yes. Like they could fix it tomorrow or over the next five or ten years with some significant, serious, proper. Uh, austerity is the wrong word. Doesn't need to be austerity necessarily, but um, a, a rebalancing of the way the U.S. economy is funded, um, the way taxes are collected and revenue is spent. It's actually a really simple thing to do with with, with a small amount of political will. In fact, it's a non-issue with with, with political will. Uh, that political will, again, as we said, is is absolutely missing. And as uh, as as you mentioned, <laughs> the uh, uh, you know acknowledging that is kind of part of the exercise. Uh, can um, I just very quickly add to it, that? It just no, occurred to me. The, the other phenomena that we're sort of experiencing at the moment is much heightened um, geo- geopolitical tensions. There's you know, yeah. obviously the war in Ukraine. There's what's happening in Niger now as well. Military spending is not going down. The rate of, of growth mm-hmm. there is going up. So on top of the scenario just outlined – you, and this is this yeah. is always we see it here in Australia. Like you know, people will arm and ar, or can we afford this? Can we afford that? When it comes to some new helicopters and subs, like yeah, do what you have to do, right? So there's you get the green flag <laughs> waved through for this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, so right. on top of all of this fiscal conundrum, you have a, a scenario where spending is ramping up from. By the way, incredibly high levels already in the US. That their, their military budget is is I think is big or bigger than the next three combined. <laughs> it's pretty massive. So again, I, I don't I, I don't see them pulling back on that spending lever, let alone any others. And that that just makes it all more diabolical. I think that's absolutely right. I I still I, I the other thing I'm gonna I'm gonna take some I think it, it's a it's a reasonable not with your view, with Fitch's decision. I you know I, I, I wonder whether you know, it's it's almost a you know how the, when 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 shells don't like what management are doing, they vote against the remuneration report because doesn't really matter, but it makes a but it makes a statement. Yeah, yeah. I kind of I kind of that, that strikes me with that that's kind of what Fitch has done because as you said, there's no there's no there's no reality, there's no real chance to go to default, right? And so to the extent that the credit is worth something, and to the extent that the interest rate on that credit, which is what people will start to demand higher oh, or lower depending on the, yes. the, the impact of inflation. It's that. kind of one of those things where you say, well, the rate will tell you how much people want to be rewarded for lending money to someone who's may have to inflate their way out of this. In other words, the money is worth less, the purchasing power is worth less, as you said. So if you've got the credit, the credit rating on one hand, which is the likelihood of getting paid back, and the price of that credit, which is the interest rate, um, it, it does strike me Fitch as being a little bit, I, I don't, I'm gonna say, I'll say cute. I don't mean it in a particularly critical way. But it does strike me as a bit of a slightly silly thing to do, given you've got those two levers. One is the price of the debt; the other is the likelihood of getting paid back. Mm. I, I mean, if the US literally defaults on its debt, then all bets are yeah. off. 
uh, you know, literally worldwide. So it's just not going to happen. So p- part of me thinks, okay, if you've made your point. I get it. I don't even disagree with the rationale, but I don't think the US is any less credit worthy than it was. As lo- you know, I, I can price my, uh, you know, the, the, the lending I want to do to any anyone in the US in US dollars. I can price that according to my own preferences. What I'm asking you to do is saying how likely is it they won't be able to pay the bills. Uh, I, I do think the downgrade's a little bit mm, silly from that perspective, or maybe slightly crossed wires. Is that is that unreasonable? No, I, I, I mean, I would look at it from the private market perspective. So there's what bureaucrats and regulators and all of that would like to see. Um, but then there's, yeah, you know, right. then there's the reality, yeah. like there is reality <laughs> of, of people who actually participate in these credit markets. You know, the great example yeah. here would be the Saudis, right? So we buy all the oil um, off them. We give them a bunch of, when I say we, the West, give them US dollars. And what do they do with that? They then use that to buy debt. Because what are you going to yeah. do with it? Although you, you or acquire it? U.S. Yeah. It's you know it's a it's a gift certificate for the U.S. or a trade token for <laughs> yeah. the rest of the world, and so you 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 yeah, you fulfill yeah. all of your sort of import requirements. And what do they do? They recycle it into um, yeah. into treasury, into T bills, and all of these kinds of things. And that's just not or U.S. dollar assets like sovereign sovereign wealth fund investments in U.S. denominated companies. You know that's sort of absolutely um, China does exactly yeah. the same. Um, Niall Ferguson yep. called it Chimerica, which is a lovely term because it's got that Chimera, Chimera uh, angle to it. But they are, they're too, they're very much, of all the geopolitical tensions, it's sort of crazy how wedded they, they, those two entities sort of are. But look at it from the, their perspective or even look at it from a corporate's perspective that, has, that trades internationally and has an excess of US dollars. So what do I do with that? Now, inflation is running hot, I, to my mind, probably down from the peak, but continue to run hot for a while. So it's just a melting ice cube in my pocket. It's like, I got to spend it or I've got to in, at least invest it at a rate which will compensate me for for that inflation. And I know that when I buy this stuff, they're going to pay me back with printed money. It becomes less and less attractive. So so whatever the, whatever the ratings agency want to do, the harsh reality is, is that people recognize exactly what's happening. If I borrowed, if you borrowed some money off me and you're just creating more Scott tokens to pay me back with, you know, I just like, wait, it's sort of, it gets to a point where I am just going to demand in the private market, a higher rate of interest to compensate. I'm just going to, and, and this is, this is the reality. There is a lot of people will argue that frankly, what central banks do is more than just largely a jawbone they impacts into bank rates but at the end of the day it's the bond market the bond market is the 2000 pound gorilla in the room that really ultimately determines global interest rates and the bond market is just a massive you know, well, it's like any market. It connects those with an excess of capital um, that no, need those that need to borrow, and the market sets a rate that is appropriate. So, if you go and borrow money from, um, or if you lend money to Argentina or Lebanon or places that are experiencing hyperinflation, guess what? The interest rate you demand is extremely high because you're not an idiot, right? Because <laughs> you need to account mm-hmm. for that. Now, that's a completely different, um, much more extreme scenario, but it is still the same scenario. So, uh, you know, unless you're, you're going to find that buyers of your debt and if one of the great things about being the reserve currency and, and the um, major leading economy is that you have a, a whole um, world of, of other foreign entities who are traditionally at least very happy to buy that. They're just going to gradually and slowly over time, regardless of what Fitch and S&P might happen to declare, they are going to want a higher interest mm-hmm. rate. They are. Um, or they're going to seek other alternate assets, whether that's be let's just buy up some U.S. real estate. Then you then you get into all kinds of foreign ownership rules, or or you you use what what is increasingly being the case, I think, is you use equities as a uh, store of value. And I, I actually think that it's not too crazy or out there to think that we will, on average, see higher multiples uh, normalized for interest rates going forward as all this global capital seeks a home, seeks a shelter to protect it from inflation. And it might actually be that for long-term holders, Apple stock looks a hell of a lot more attractive than an IOU from a government right. that is spending like well beyond its capacity and is and is very obviously paying it back with with newly created money. Right. Nice. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds, very, it sounds really nice crazy, people. right? Like it sounds really holy what is that you know what this ends really badly right like yeah i kind of think it does it 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 might not be imminent but something's got to change and it's very difficult to see what 
what will change. It's a nice time to uh, not be in the US because <laughs> we have more options oh, uh, given that circumstance. I will say, by the way, uh, to whatever degree you are uh, motivated by Andrew's comments to think about our circumstances here, uh, I would humbly suggest you speak to your political representative about their approach to our national balance sheet because it has disappeared from the national conversation basically through mutual agreement between the two big parties because neither of them wants to deal with a serious conversation about our, our, our national debt and budget deficits because that means they'd have to stop spending and that means they'd struggle to, to win elections. So they both just spend up big and that's the challenge of the last few years. Uh, it's absolutely both governments. It's absolutely both parties. Uh, the last lot left a mess. The current lot have done very little to improve it. Um, th- that remains a, a big issue. Uh, there was once bipartisan support, or at least broad bipartisan you know, approach towards balancing a budget over a cycle, keeping uh, debt, government debt more manageable and more reasonable. That's been thrown out the window to some degree reasonably because of COVID, but uh, the lack of any interest in fixing the post-COVID problems. I'm a big fan. The car breaks, you, you, you put the repairs on the credit card and then you pay the credit card off. We've just put the repairs on the credit card and then kept spending yeah. on the credit yeah. card. Um, there is there is a – and household budgets aren't the same as governments for those people who are yelling at the podcast machine right now. I get that. You get that. We get that. Except – that at some point, a la the US, a la the cost of funds, um, there is there is always a price to pay. Yep. There, there is no there is no free lunch. No, and you've got to be careful blaming COVID. I know you're not, but like, say, oh, but COVID. And it's like, well, there's always going to be a COVID of sorts. There is always going to be that black swan, you know, <clears throat> I don't know, an asteroid hits or a pandemic. You know, there there will be something or a war or, you know, I don't know what it is because by, by definition, I don't, which is exactly why it's always good to have a buffer. It's always good to have some capacity on the credit card for the unexpected, for the unusual, for the thing that you need to sort of correct for. And you're right. We're just just so far beyond our means. There is a stat that is, I think there is no, actually there's one notable exception, but, and I'll get to that. There's one exception ever, I think, where the debt to GDP ratio of a country has gotten above 100% 100%, is it? Or 120% where they have not defaulted. Right, right. Okay. In history, going right back to and what the was Greek, the exception? Japan, Japan <laughs> was the exception. Right. So Japan yeah. have had in, in, incredibly uh, uh, high debt for a long time, mm. and they're they're effectively just rolling things over by printing cash as well. But without Japan is a whole study in and of itself. But they have they have all kinds of demographic problems and and the rest of it. So oh yeah, you know, it's, and it's not a scenario you want to be in. And it looks as though the U.S. economy could Japanify to, to coin a term um, yeah, if it doesn't get there. And it, it is it is it is very serious. I, I would say so. Yeah, you know, be, bear in mind that everything has a cost, and just pay attention to what. Polys are promising and and understand that mm. they're just – unfortunately, the world we live in is a un- cruel and <laughs> unpredictable place and as much as it would be <laughs> nice if everyone just got a million dollars. I mean, that's a great example, right? Mm. Let's imagine I became king of Australia and I said, my first act is to give everyone a million dollars. Now, I don't think anyone for a second thinks that that gonna, is going to help anything. In fact, it makes everything really, really, really bad. And but that's but yep. that's kind of it, right? Like that's 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 an extreme example. It's the free money. Yes, exactly. But, but yep, that is right. that is right. still a very very bad situation, and that is the path that that, that we are on, where we all have wheelbarrows it's of, of prosperity. Of money. Where you get to buy some votes by assuming everything can be okay until we have to pay the yeah, bills. Talk, talk about the price of bread, right? Like that is that is Weimar Republic walking down the street with a with a wheelbarrow full of cash mm-hmm. to buy some bread, uh, kind of stuff. And again, this stuff happens. All the time, we we are shielded from it here, and we're kind of freaking out because we're sort of mid single digits at it. But you know, right now around the world, there's at least a dozen countries experiencing what you what I think you could fairly term hyperinflation. And guess what happened? Guess how they got into that scenario? <laughs> Governments created a bunch of money and spent well beyond their means. And it's a story as 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 old as religion, right? And it just so happens that what's interesting is that the the, the world's largest economies are now doing it as well. And it's going to be. A an interesting endgame. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mate, let's move on a little bit. Um, staying with the macro impact, but let's bring it back home. You and I have talked a little bit about uh, real estate in general Just a terms. Bit. We've talked a lot about housing. <laughs> well, I was going to say, yeah, we talked about housing. But, but, uh, but we also talked a little bit about commercial real estate. So offices, uh, warehouses, that kind of stuff. Um 
we have saw this week BWP, the business that used to be known as the Bunnings Warehouse Property Trust, uh, now called BWP Trust because it has more than just Bunnings Warehouses. Uh, by the way, for anyone who doesn't realise, um, uh, Bunnings has known uh, maybe not any, but certainly not many of its of its own warehouses. Um, it leases them, and it was spun out of West Farmers at one point in the past as the Bunnings Warehouse Property Trust. In other words, West Farmers said, "Hey, we'll put the property over here. We'll keep the operating business. It can pay some leases uh, instead of owning the property." Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of the because Bunnings is such a spectacularly great retailer, one of the highest quality industrial REITs, real estate investment trusts on the on the ASX. I think. I I think it's even controversial to say. We saw this week uh, the company have a 90% fall in profitability because of the write down to some asset values because of rising oh, but rates. It's, but but it's non-cash, it's worth- mate. Don't worry about it. It's Go non-cash. <laughs> yeah, except they don't say that when the when the uh, profit goes oh, up. Oh no, they don't. That's funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, so so I, I actually I have half a I have half a sympathy. Funnily enough, despite your um, cynicism, your, your side <laughs> idea, I have I have some I have some sympathy for the uh, the, the fact that it is non cash as long as you treat both the increases and the decreases as non cash. Sure. Um, we, we would say the same about our own homes, right? If I own my house and the property market falls 20%, it doesn't matter. I, 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 my, my personal balance sheet would have to write down the value of my home and I could write up the value of my home uh, when the property market is going up. It doesn't matter until it matters. Uh, but it is it is interesting because, well, two reasons. One is, as you say, uh, they only claim it on half of it. They never, they never say it's on cash when it goes up. They always trumpet the big numbers. So it's only realistic that we and reasonable that we uh, trumpet the numbers when they go down as well. Mm. But it's also a reminder, I think, of the the really broad impacts of interest rate increases across property markets, not just in homes, not just for mortgage borrowers, uh, but for businesses across the board. Um, the you know, the way these things are done, there's what they call a capitalization rate, um, basically a, a function of interest rates, where the auditors and the the valuers will say, okay, well, if rates are this and your rent is that. They multiply those together and that that determines the property value. Mm-hmm. As a result, a 2.2% fall in the property value, speaking of leveraged, ended up delivering a 90% fall in profit, such is the structure of these businesses. Mm. It's not something you need to worry about if you're a BWP shareholder or any REIT shareholder necessarily, except for a couple of things. One is if you have debt in that structure, mm-hmm. then the asset is ne- you know the, the debt never goes down, but the asset values do. Uh, that is going to crunch your equity pretty quickly if you're not careful. Again, not BWP, but others. We saw vicinity centres, which is now called something else, and what's called Centro way back in uh, during the GFC, effectively went broke because it had its asset values written down, had a truckload of debt, and simply couldn't meet the, the debt repayments. It couldn't sell the assets because they were worth so, so little. Um, that's the sort of thing that can happen in these sort of uh, asset price crunches like we're seeing with BWP. Yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm just reading here in the fin. So the the financing costs increased twenty more than twenty one percent in the yeah. 2023 financial year. Um, since the, I mean, mm-hmm. at that point in, for that year, that was a three point six percent cost on borrowings. Pretty low, uh, but it, yeah, that's but right. it's already and it's already four percent. And I think it's some analyst there's there quoted go. saying yep. it'll get to at least four point three. I know that doesn't sound like a lot. Three point six, four point three. How big a deal is that? It's like, well, actually, people with a mortgage will get it. Um, you know, that's it's quite a lot actually. So yeah, um, uh, and and again, just look at the private markets here. It's not about some auditor sucking their thumb and saying, "I think this." Who on God's green earth would buy any kind of uh, uh, property, be it industrial or? Oh, I should be careful with residential because it turns out half the country would buy a, a negatively <laughs> yielding asset. But who, what what sane person would buy a commercial property that is going to give you a yield of 3% when I can put it into a term yeah. deposit that has zero costs, is you know, literally backed by the government, as we were just sort of talking about mm-hmm. before, and is going to give me an interest rate that's like 4.5%, 5%. Like it, it makes no sense whatsoever. So guess what happens? You know, People bid at a lower point, and 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 things correct. That's right. In that way, and so yeah, no no yeah. cash has changed here, but the asset value underpinning your asset, your investment in BWP, has absolutely changed. Like it, that that is that is very that is a very very real change. Um, so I oh, know what's my point. My point is is that um, I think you. you it, 
You mm. can be more sanguine about it, as you rightly point out, if you were sanguine about it on the way up. It's like, wow, we're revaluing our property. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, well, there's yes, no extra yes, cash yes. there, right? Just remember that. And that yeah. this is this is yeah. not actually been tested in a market setting. This has just been what people assume based on, as you say, cap rates yeah. uh, and, and the rest of it. But it, but it does have a, an impact to earnings when it comes to um, to the financing costs and when things mm. need to be refinanced. There's a maturity p- profile and all of this debt that they have across. Uh, you'll see it in their presentations. And that will roll over at some point and that will absolutely impact um, the bottom line as well and therefore dividend payments, which is really the, the main raison d'etre of, of investing in these kinds of assets. So, yeah, it's – um. We're going to see more of it too. And this is, I think this is the point that you're making. I guess the reason you wanted to touch on it is that this is BWP, right? This is, yeah, that's right. This isn't some, com- <laughs> it's about as rolled gold as it, it gets. You know, right? this is great. This is not, this is not an empty office block yeah. in, in, in the CBD, right? Which, which we've talked about before is some pretty serious issues there. And, and in the US, by the way, and in Europe, the whole that talk about one of the big impacts of, of COVID there. But there's a reckoning that, that that has to happen there. And I'm not saying the world is going to end, yeah, but I am going to say that valuations are going to come down quite a lot. Uh, in, in the, and they have to, right? They, they, it is a, a law of gravity almost within within finance because because investors aren't that mad. Where they're, they're, they're going to be bidding at prices <laughs> where right. they're going to have not yeah, no, exactly. assets that cost money to maintain and is yeah. giving you a yield that's yeah. a fraction of what I can get in the quote-unquote risk-free asset. I mean- Something's going to give. You, the last point I want to make on this, mate, actually, was was the point you kind of referred to on the way through, which I, I want to pick up, which is the, the increase in co- in interest costs. We have a plenty of infrastructure-based assets. I'll say also, well, maybe, maybe not. Let, let's call them asset-based investments. Uh, and I guess I'm uh, wrapping trans-urban, up. Transurban, Sydney right? airports. Right. Uh, there's a few pipelines now, think in about, there. Yeah. Right. If you think about transurban, and people say, well, there's inflation and there's interest, interest rates going up, but the tolls are inflation linked, so they're kind of protected. Mm. And I think that was a, I think I've said this before, it's a really, really, really massive, massive misunderstanding. And so for anyone owning an asset that is a hard asset with debt attached, I want to be really, really clear. BWP, as you say, mate, is the roll gold, um, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the highest quality of mm. these. Tra- let's take Transurban. Inflation, let's call it 7% to be generous. So the tolls go up 7%. So see, they're covered. Mm. When rates go from you know, zero to 4%, the official cash rate, that's four percentage points. Inflation is 7%. See, they're covered. Mm. What that misses dramatically, and no one does this deliberately, and no, I'm not criticizing anyone for doing it, but what that misses dramatically is the size of the interest line on the PL. When your revenue goes up 7%, but your interest bill probably goes up by, I mean, at some point it's going to double, right? Mm. Um, the the the, the different even, even though the percentage points are the same, the impact of that is so incredibly incredibly dramatic. Um, I'm going to pick some. This is not transurban at all, so don't don't use this as you know what it's worth. Let's say transurban does 100 million dollars worth of sales, mm-hmm. and they get to increase those sales at inflation, so it's now 100 to 107. Mm. Okay, they've covered their they've covered the inflation. Fine. Let's say they had 30 million dollars worth of debt, and that doubles. Mm. So all of a sudden, you've got seven million more on the top line. You've got thirty million more in costs. Mm. Now, I don't want to. I'm not going to talk about Transurban anymore because those numbers are not real. They're not right. No one at me. No one complained. <laughs> Transurban, if you're listening, I know it's just an example. My point is, you've really got to look at the quantum of the costs and how they change when the because we're not talking about principal plus interest repayments here. You know, it's bad enough when your mortgage goes up a little bit because you're paying back the principal. The interest bit goes up. I say a little bit, a lot, but your principal repayment doesn't go up mm. much. When these companies effectively are paying interest-only loans, and they are, mm. when they go up, the whole interest, the whole repayment goes up by the size of the interest increment, yeah. and that's a really, really, really big deal. So, if you're investing in any of these assets that have, you know, the hard assets, capital, there's nothing wrong with them as as businesses as assets. Just know that a couple of points on the interest line and a couple of points on the on the revenue line do not, in any way, shape, or form, act the same way. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And. There's a time for, I mean, these are, these are interesting, I think, for to put on the watch list because the cycle will probably turn at some point. But I, 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 okay, I, yeah, absolutely. I do, I do, I'm sure there's a lot of people who will look at, we'll stick with BWP, right? Very high quality REIT mm-hmm. offering me, they don't do franking because of the structure, um, but they give you a 5.1% yield. It's like 5.1% yield, not bad, right? Um, but it's not great. 
And I look at all the forecasts that have been out there and it's like dividends aren't going anywhere for the next little while. Mm. Uh, if the, the calculus here is, okay, I'm going to ignore the cap swings in capital value because they're non-cash and on the way up and way down, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to worry about the money, the actual good hard cash mm. that gets put in my pocket. If you're looking around and going, oh, I'll take 5%, then you should invest in it. But I would again say, even though shares have want to come down from like, gosh, they've come back a long way, haven't they? Um, what is it, 450 to 350 in the last year or so? I would say, again, I've got all the volatility that comes with a listed investment. I've got all the <laughs> exactly. uncertainty that comes with it and I'm getting what, slightly higher than a term deposit? I just, I, I, and we're in an environment where interest may, rates may, the, maybe the interest rate cycle has stopped, but I don't know if we're getting back to like the stimulatory side of things anytime soon. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just be careful. I'm not giving advice in any way, shape or form. And now I've sort of indicated this, I'm sure things will go incredibly well for them, but I just, I, I, (laughs) too often people make it an appraisal on, well, look at that yield. That's fantastic. 5% yield. That that is brilliant. I I mean, I, um, I'm going to invest on that basis when you've got to always look at it through the lens of opportunity Mm. costs and what other alternatives out there, what is the risk adjusted return? on something like this. Not saying anyone needs to be able to predict interest rates because no one can, frankly, but you know that it's going to, this is going to be something that is is uh, at least more variable than than the um, super risk-free government-issued paper that, that is out there. And so it's tempting to go 450 to 350, plus I get a really good yield, that thing looks really cheap. I, I don't know. All I'm saying is I'm not buying any. <laughs> no, me either, me either. Mate, let's let's finish off with a bit of uh, crystal ball gazing. A bit of uh, let's put our policy hats on uh, as we think about what the future might look like. Um, we had Innes Innes Willocks, who is the CEO of the Australian Industry Group, so business lobby. Let's uh, put that on the table. Talk about the need for tax reform, and Innes Willocks has, has identified. This is this is the so Philip Curry wrote about the AFR. So I'll just I'll read the first paragraph of his. Um, of his of his article today again we're recording this on on thursday so he says quote lower taxes on companies and individuals fewer state taxes and increasing the gst or replacing it with a cash flow tax should all be considered to restore the nation's flagging productivity aig chief executive innes willocks said wait a sec can i just clarify here so the the aig ceo is saying that the his members should pay less tax I just, just want to be clear on this. Funny enough. Is that, is that what he's enough. arguing? <laughs> yeah. Well, blow me down. He, he's, he's throwing the rest of us a bone, though. He's saying we should pay less tax too, which all sounds very nice because then everyone, you, you wonder how money's actually going to be During made. a structural deficit. Um, okay, tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> well, this is the thing. He then says replacing it with, or sorry, increasing uh, the GST or replacing it with a cash flow tax. What's a cash flow Should tax? be considered. Yeah. So this is fascinating, mate. I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. I am with Innes Willocks at his at the starting point. There are too many taxes. I think payroll tax is the most stupid tax in the world. Yes. I think uh, state government reliance on an incredibly volatile stamp duty. I don't mind stamp duty actually as an idea, frankly, which makes me very unpopular, but um, I'll, I'll get back to that if we want. Um, the volatility of that for state government coffers is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, they get some money from the GST, of course, from the government. They get other funding from the federal government. So, they, you know, it's not, it's not only those things, but you got a very, very volatile tax base. Um, it, it makes some sense to me. And, and by the way, you know, people say, well, hang on, you're taxing, you're taxing income, you're taxing workers. Why not tax spending instead? That conceptually starts to make a little bit of sense. Mm-hmm. The increasing the GST thing is a favourite of business and a favourite of... Of, uh, of of some people, uh, the cash flow tax itself is fascinating. It's basically a GST style tax on all company revenues, mm. which I think is also interesting. And now not, it's, it's not kind of a profits, GST, right? not profits, just revenues. Right, interesting. Right, mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of a quasi GST to some degree because that's already being paid. You, you pay, you, you know, the companies pay the GST, and eventually the consumer pays the difference. And the value-added bit—that's why it's called a VAT or a value-added tax in the rest of the world, or much of the rest of the world. Because if I buy something for five, I sell it for six. I pay my tax on the the five, and I've got to pay the increment between the two. And then you you buy it for seven, and you pay that, and you know, round and round it goes. Um, so cash flow tax is not all that different in concept. 
that being said, it's not just levied on the value added. So there's something interesting there too. I don't know how that would necessarily work, but even people like Dr. Ken Henry, ex-Treasury Secretary, are uh, floating that particular balloon. So I've got to I've got to believe it's got some some serious potential as a as a revenue raiser. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you recommend? Is this is this is this a solution? Is it part of a solution? Uh, not just the cash flow tax, but increasing the GST, decreasing personal and company taxes. Is that what we need to increase the productivity of the country? Ah, uh, so uh, yes and no. So uh, does the <laughs> does the tax system need a massive overhaul? Yes. I mean, like everyone who's ever studied it or looked at it, it's just it's a spaghetti mess, right? And it's just sort of evolved yeah, that way really is. because of all vested interests all arguing for their own sort of self interest, and you just sort of you're left with this sort of Frankensteinian monster of and this, <laughs> as we've talked about before, accountants love it, right? Because it, it, it keeps them in. In, in high demand. Mm. And I've actually spoken to the CEO of a very large uh, accounting body who's pretty much said exactly that. It's like, oh, this is great. And by the way, his other comment was, <laughs> it's never going to change. Like you, you, we can sit here in our armchairs and go, wouldn't it be great if, you know, it'd be great if I could ride a unicorn to work every day as well. But you know, there is no there is no way that we are going to see a, it, it, it's, at a it's at the point um, where it kind of like everything needs to be like thrown in the bin and rebuilt from scratch. And I think if we were to do yeah, that in yeah. a bipartisan, um, considered, sensible way, that we would have a much more efficient system. Absolutely. It's just not going to happen. That's <laughs> right? just not. Um, the other thing that I, I – the thing I do take issue with here – and, well, maybe mm. I'll, 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 I'll be open-minded for once in my life. <laughs> Can you draw a line? Now, remembering that yeah. I'm, I'm, my, my cognitive abilities – Limited. I'm not the I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. <laughs> How does this? I'm, and, and let's say I'm running a pizza shop down in my local mm-hmm. suburb. I'm running a. Mm-hmm. How does my productivity, as measured by my unit output per hour, how, do, how does yes. that, or perhaps better said, per, per my 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 unit cost for my workers and everything? Yeah. How does that yeah. How does that improve? That is a perfectly good point, mate. And I think that is actually fundamentally uh, where I agree with you and you've, you've stolen my thunder perfectly because I have a suspicion uh, that business lobby, like, by the way, employer, employee lobbies, uh, unions, um, uh, choose to define yeah, – it's, it's the whole thing of you know, cho- choose, the, choose, your, choose the playing field, mm-hmm. right? If, you, if you're going to be in a battle, choose where the battle happens. If you get to say it's all about tax reform, it's all about productivity – um, then everyone goes, oh, yeah, of course it is, of course it is. Yeah, that's right, so we should fix it. Okay, well, these fix that product. Okay, good, let's do that thing then. Uh, and as you rightly point out, mate, there is no hard line. Now, some people out there might think there is, and there may well be. We might be wrong. Uh, but there is no obvious hard line between those two to my mind. There isn't. With one exception, mm-hmm. with one exception, which is that we know that taxes tend to dampen uh, the activity they're levied on. Mm-hmm. And so there is some, there is some very you know for all of I'm not a trickle down guy I'm not a free market capitalism guy I'm a well regulated capitalism guy, um, but th- there is some reality that at some point the taxes levied have a you know a depressing effect on that particular activity. So do you want to have people earning less uh, sorry paying less tax uh, on on incomes? Are they more likely to work more? I guess at the margins, yeah. Uh, do companies reinvest more if the tax burden is lower on the profits they make? At some point, probably. Now, I think it's relatively um, uh, relatively modest, that that relationship. Yep. I'm not at all convinced. If, if I, I wouldn't reduce taxes like some US states did on the assumption that if we just reduce tax, the extra volume will pick it up. Yeah, make it up on volume as they, as they d- say. Demonstrably, um, demonstrably doesn't happen. Like, Correct. Yeah. Except that if you were to replace it somewhere else and say – you know, if if the if the if the it'd be like the GST itself, right? We got rid of wholesale sales taxes. Uh, we got rid of some other taxes. Not all of them. State governments were supposed to get rid of other taxes. They didn't. But you know, in two thousand, when GST was introduced, you know, th- there was some point of saying, okay, this is a growth tax. There's value in doing it for these reasons. We'll take these off. Put this on. I, I can abs- I can I can actually see some value conceptually in what he's talking oh, yeah. about. Yep. Uh, we should always be skeptical of anyone who's arguing their own point of view, whether it's financial services people like you and I and, and our, our peers, uh, whether it's the industry, whether it's unions, whether it's governments. Um, let's not talk about consultants. We haven't got long enough for that one. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that, 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 is the, that is the kind of conversation that we, we are having and should be having. 
I am not sure. Uh, by the way, increasing the GST, I think, is a dangerous one unless we compensate people accordingly. And if we do, I'd have no problem with that either. If, you know, this is, there is some value, as you said, about if we started from scratch, what would we build? Mm. I'm not sure it would be what Innes Willux is suggesting. I'm not sure it's that much worse than what we've got now, honestly. And I do think at some level, by the way, from a from a multinational tax avoidance evasion way, um, we will we will potentially grab more of the revenue from an Apple, Amazon, I own shares, a Google, I own shares, um, Microsoft, uh, BHP. You know those companies that are that are able to and and incentivized to move their domiciles around to minimise tax. Some some cash flow tax. Uh, effectively that, that you know looks at money being spent by them and with them may actually have some more benefit than than trying to relate a, a tax um, base if you like to to the earn, earnings of profit which can be gamed meaningfully uh, by some of those businesses so I think there is some I think there is some potential value there mate um, I'm not sure this is the only solution I'm not sure it does meaningfully impact productivity but I'm not sure it's on the wrong on the wrong track yeah I mean yeah look so again I, I'm happy with the, I'm happy with re-examining how we tax and raise how governments raise revenue I think it is yeah. needed yeah I just I just I really it's one of my pet peeves at the moment and I've got more than a few pet peeves mm. but it is this you hear it in the media all the time productivity 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 and it just sort of like it, yeah. look I was at a mate's uh, property um, a couple of weekends ago and he's got a log splitter. Mm. It's just a machine that you, you throw your log, you chainsaw it up, you yeah, put yeah, it, and yeah. it just, it's just brilliant, right? So what would take all afternoon with an axe took us 15 minutes and we just pro- probably, wow. you know, just like chuck these logs in and go split, split, split. Like just that is a productivity enhancing bit of capital equipment, mm-hmm. right? That that it, it, That yeah. is amazing. So what two guys could do in an afternoon, it, it may have – it you know, would have taken us days, I, I would say, with, that, with an axe. <laughs> That's productivity. You try and get productivity boosts out of a hairdresser. I mean, how? Yeah, exactly. How? I mean, or a, or a cafe worker. I mean, there are, there are I'm, I'm sure there's small incremental things, but like it just takes what it takes to get a pair of scissors and cut someone's hair. I mean, yes, we could just like, yeah, we exactly. just give everyone the Sinead O'Connor and like zip it all off and that, that might increase productivity, but it's not going to be what the consumer is sort of demanding there. And uh, that was a bad example. I'm sorry about that. Um, given, <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, uh, <laughs> but do, do you know what I'm saying? And, and it's, right. it's, yeah, let, let, let's, let's use my my hairline instead. Yeah, I, I have a, I have a similar, uh, I, a little less than, than Sinead uh, did, and that's uh, that, it, look. You're right, and that, that's the challenge I think of. I, look, Willock says, and again with some validity, that international competitiveness matters, and there are some things that would make Australian businesses more cost competitive compared to international players. If if you could lower the cost of the things that we do, we talked at the very beginning of the podcast about, uh, you know, rocks and digging holes. If other things were more cost competitive and government could have a role in that, there is some there opportunity. I don't think we should rule it out entirely, but you're absolutely right to be cynical. Whenever anyone sticks their head up and says, hey, this thing should be different, um, uh, you know, whether, whether it's actors arguing against AI, uh, yeah, you know, right. uh, the union movement blaming Woolworths for, for inflation, uh, it's, it's always, you know, it, it's always a case of incentives, as we say regularly. Um, it's a it's a, a question of, um, you know, how and where that uh, that, that is applied. And I think... A look at, at tax policy, as you say, is important. I don't know that we've got the right... Uh, well, yeah, it, it, he's one of the right people to have in the room. He's not the only voice you should be listening to. Uh, and I don't mean to make it about him personally, but about... No lobby uh, group lobby is group. ever the sole voice of reason in, in exactly. anything. Andrew's law, put it out, put it... I'm going to put that in stone. Like, that's that goes for any kind of lobby group, right? Like, absolutely hear what they've yeah. got to say, but don't ever, ever listen to them alone. The, the point I'm... Except if you're listening to the Motley Fool Money podcast, in which case... <laughs> You are absolutely on the right. Can I just the final point? Because I know we've we've got to wrap it up. Go but for it. the 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 point again this is Captain Obvious here, but it needs to be said. Apparently, <laughs> is that it, it presumes that businesses and entrepreneurs are deliberately not being productive or maximizing their productivity anyway. So, you know, whatever business you're running. Yes. You have an incentive to be productive, to be competitive. If I can do more with less, I make more money, or I can run at a lower cost. I, I can, I can outcompete people, and I stay in business and I prosper. So the, 
insanity of thinking that all these businesses are here with their thumb up their backside going, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to take this productivity dividend, to use a horrible term, mm. because, because yeah. of the tax structure or because of this, is the most stupid thing you could possibly think. Every business. I mean, if you want to do that, let's you and I start a construction firm, but we're not going to use cranes, right? <laughs> or, or we're going to mix our cement in a wheelbarrow, Right. And we'll blame the government. And we're, not oh, we're not productive yeah. enough. I was like, no, the, the 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 free market will crush us under its heel, Correct. rightly so, right? And so we we are going to maximise our productivity anyway, or we're going to do the best that we can on on that front because we we already have the incentive. So for bureaucrats and academics to come out and say we, you know, if only we did this, you know, businesses would be more productive. I think is. I think it's naive um, in, in in the extreme. Not that or self serving or self serving. And again, it's not that there aren't, as you say, there are things that can be yeah. done on aggregate to sort of help us with our productivity. Yep. But there are some things yep. like if you're a spreadsheet jockey or a hairdresser or so services based things, they they are already really maximally productive. Um, and where the productivity gains come, if we step back, it's come from farming. You know. 10 people can produce as much food as it took like 10,000 people to produce, you know, 100, 200 years ago. That's massive. Right, you know, right. the, uh, the Henry Ford production line has meant that we, we can have like um, uh, the goods economy has come down. So, you know, we, we, we can produce things so much more efficient because we now use robots to build cars and there's not a person there with a ball hammer trying to knock out a frame and, you know, do it, do it all by hand. That, those are the productivity gains that we've, we've really enjoyed lately. But, but for economies like the US and Australia, which is very, very heavily services-based, there's just not a lot of levers to sort of pull that are there. And I think people lamenting all of this kind of stuff just really – need to go back to first principles and some basics here and think about it. And we just got to stop using this product, throwing this pr- productivity word around as cover to meet all kinds of other agendas. Anyway, rant over. <laughs> Speaking of which, will you come back and be more productive on Sunday? Oh, yeah. That's exa- that is a great example, actually. Like how do we possibly more productive? Like, anyway, yes, I will. I will, I will try. True, true, true. We, we, we'll find- Tune in on Sunday to find out how more productive we can possibly be. We will do our level best. We'll, we'll talk faster or something. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll find a way. We'll find a way. Until then, Mr. Page, it's been an absolute pleasure. And listeners, thank you for joining us. See you Sunday. Always fun. Cheers. Cool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691.